Defining moment spotlights a particular moment, incident, or case that either led the writer to a career in physical therapy or confirmed why he or she chose to become a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant. This essay, titled Empowering People with ALS, is read by its author, Renee Hetzler, PT-DPT. She's an outpatient physical therapist at the University of Rochester Medical Center in New York and is part of the center's ALS and Huntington Disease Clinic's multidisciplinary teams. She's a board-certified clinical specialist in neurological physical therapy. When most people envision our profession, the images are cold for media. Someone gets hurt and goes to physical therapy to walk within parallel bars or to do various exercises with big, colorful balls. What people don't picture is someone who is just diagnosed with a devastating disease that has a mean survival time of three to five years. That is the treatment role that I play, however, when I serve once a month in our hospital system's multidisciplinary clinic for people with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. For patients who are newly diagnosed, it is a huge emotional blow. Sometimes they want to meet with me and sometimes they are not ready for it. When I walk into the room today, I am greeted by Linda, a recently retired teacher who started noticing weakness nine months ago. She's accompanied by her husband, Dan. Both are a bit tearful. I always let the couple guide the conversation and I try to gauge whether they are becoming overwhelmed. I explain my role within the clinic, which is to help people with mobility related needs. I explain that I typically make exercise and equipment recommendations to help individuals perform whatever activities are important to them. Linda started researching ALS after a doctor suggested it as a possibility and referred her to our clinic. She was not shocked to receive this diagnosis, although of course she was upset. She has a lot of questions for me. She tells me she fell in a parking lot coming out of a grocery store, and now she is afraid to do things in her community because she does not want to fall again. She was embarrassed because it happened in public and took three people to get her up. She does not know exactly why she fell, but shortly before she did, she felt as if her legs might buckle. She says she had been doing a lot of walking prior to her fall. I explained that fatigue has a big impact on people with ALS and that sometimes muscles give out if they are overworked. I tell Linda that if she plans out her activities to avoid expending too much energy, she should be able to continue her community outings. I add that we want to support her in enjoying life as fully as possible and that we do not want her to be stuck at home. She and Dan had planned to travel now that she is retired. I tell them that that is a wonderful idea and that doing it sooner rather than later would be easier and more enjoyable. I recommend they get a transport chair so Linda does not have to worry about being able to walk long distances. Linda reports that she always has been very active and likes to exercise. I tell her we want her to continue to do so, especially if she finds it enjoyable and meaningful. Moderate exercise is safe for people with ALS and may offer benefits in terms of maintaining function longer. Linda is glad to hear this sliver of hope. We discuss alternative ways for her to exercise if walking is too challenging. I tell her what signs to look for to determine if she has done too much because high intensity exercise may be detrimental. Linda stands up and shows me her gait. I'm surprised that she is still able to do as much as she does. She walks slowly and has very little foot clearance on her left side, which I ascribe to a combination of dorsiflexion weakness and hip flexion weakness. We discuss the possibility of an AFO to help with her foot drop, although with that amount of hip flexion weakness, she still will have difficulty stepping with that leg. We discuss footwear with AFOs as she typically likes to wear sandals. She decides to defer an AFO for now. She has already started using a cane and we discussed that soon she will likely need to start using a walker. 
Given how fast her walking has declined in the past nine months, I also tell Linda and Dan that a wheelchair will be needed after that and that the process for getting one approved and delivered typically takes about three months. I further explain the differences between manual and power wheelchairs. I recommend they consider getting a manual one from a loan closet or a nonprofit organization such as the ALS Association so that they are less likely to run into issues with their insurance company paying for a power wheelchair when she needs one. I describe the features of a power chair that most people with ALS end up needing for comfort and independence, including powered seating options. The power chair discussion brings up questions about the couple's home setup. I recommend adding a ramp to the house and suggest that Linda and Dan look into options for remodeling their first floor. They ask about a stair lift. I advise against it because in the advanced stages of the disease, it is not practical to transfer, nor is it practical to have a power wheelchair and a Hoyer lift on both floors of the house. If renovations are not possible, they might consider moving to a single level house. Discussions about the home often are the most difficult in these situations. Linda and Dan do not want to leave their home and they find the thought of renovations daunting. Dan is the more emotional of the two. He says that while Linda has accepted her diagnosis, he has been in denial. His voice cracks as he says, the denial didn't work. I tell them I understand that all of this is very hard. I remind them that the goal of the healthcare team is to help improve their quality of life with regard to whatever choices they make. Dan asks if there is anything he can do right now to help Linda, who is still functionally independent. I tell him just to continue being a supportive husband. I add that soon Linda will need more help from him with things like stretching and daily activities. They have no more questions. Linda and Dan seem glad to have more information about what to expect. They thank me as I leave. Visits with newly diagnosed patients are always the most challenging. I'm meeting them on what is one of the worst days of their lives, but I also know that I have been able to make it slightly better. As the disease progresses, I watch people lose function little by little. My role remains largely the same. I talk about exercises, especially stretching in the late stages, and equipment to support patients and their caregivers and hopefully to improve their quality of life. Many people tell me they could not serve in my role, watching patients slowly get worse and ultimately die. While it is not easy, each of these moments define why I consider myself incredibly privileged. I'm able to help people when they need it most. Surprisingly, patients with ALS show a fairly steady quality of life even as the disease progresses. They express gratitude for my work and I know that I am making a significant difference. This little known aspect of physical therapy is every bit as fulfilling as helping someone recover from an injury. I'm grateful to be able to serve this population, although I never would have pictured this when I went to PT school. APT podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.